Welcome to the Podfathers Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Alvarez. The date is November 30th, and I hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving and enjoyed their holiday period. Continue to enjoy the holidays that are coming up. On this week's podcast, I reunite with Jacob Fanshawe. We haven't recorded in over a month, and we discuss some of the college football landscape, how coaches are kind of handicapping what college football programs can do, especially the situation over at USC. We discuss USC's latest hire of Cliff Kingsbury, the impact it'll have for the program going forward. We also talk about some of the Thanksgiving traditions we do differently. Obviously, Thanksgiving was just around the corner. Some of the things we do differently, maybe cuisine-wise. We discuss Big Mouth Season 2 in comparison to Season 1. We compare and contrast what we did like, didn't like in Season 2 that we saw. And we also give a brief shout-out to Steven Hilberg, the creator, director, and producer of Spongebob, the TV series that, you know, both our childhoods were greatly impacted by, and I will always be thankful for his creation. So yeah, again, Jacob Fanshawe and I, Noah Alvarez, reunite on the show on this week's episode of the podcast. Hope to continue to put out a weekly podcast for you listeners. We're going to have, do things a little bit differently here in the coming weeks, maybe get some local people on the podcast that usually wouldn't hop on from my neck of the woods of central orange county so yeah looking forward to it exciting i know we've had a long absence inconsistency the last couple months or so but we will get back on track again this is the pod fathers podcast no wilder is here and hope you enjoy the conversation i had with jacob fanshaw so i was reading that article you sent me on twitter about the coaches and the contracts that some of them are getting at the college football level. I thought it was pretty absurd how the buyouts are really kind of handi- handicapping these college football programs from really going out to get other coaches because guys like Rick Pitino, Gus Malzone, and Lovey Smith are getting such huge buyouts. Agreed. You know, it's interesting. And the interesting part of it is, and I think the most, what, what caught my eye about the article was you have your high-end coaches such as Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban, and for the most part Harbaugh and Jimbo Fisher. Who's the who's the odd man out in that group? Harbaugh. Harbaugh has not won a championship yet. Jimbo mm-hmm. Fisher has won one. Nick Saban has won five. Yeah. Uh, Gus Malzahn's won one. Uh, Dabo Les Sweeney's Miles. won one. Les Miles has won one, but he's not really setting the yeah, trend in the market. Mean, but yeah. I know. Basically, you have your higher-end coaches in these top top-tier. Power Five conference programs that can afford a price check such as that, can afford to demand to dictate the market, to be so high for coaches. And then you have your lesser coaches that are benefiting directly off the coattails Mm -hmm. of these top-notch coaches that are winning and putting their worth behind the money that's being paid to them. And it's kind of really disrupting the market. And it does, as you said, handicap these schools because some of these schools just cannot afford to buy out a coach like that. That's insane amount of money well i think that kind of goes for these contracts and you see it a lot of different sports too with players and coaches it's hard to find a really good coach it's hard to find a nick saban it's it's almost impossible to find guys like saban like Dabo sweeney like an urban meyer like a jim harbaugh or well maybe not jim harbaugh but jumbo fisher and those guys of that caliber that when you get a, a decent guy a guy maybe that won't bring you a championship but it'll keep you program winning like rick patino not rick patino uh, Bobby Petrino did at Louisville. I think you kind of almost forced that hand because if you don't at Louisville, let's say your rival school, or not a rival, but someone in your conference in the ACC, they go after them, whether it's Pitt 
Virginia, Virginia Tech. And all of a sudden, you know, if Bobby Pacino pans out over there, now you're losing games to a guy that you once had a good shot at. But because you didn't offer that huge contract that you did, he went to another school and now he's beating you in your conference. It's funny that you said that. That's kind of the same case with Malzahn at Auburn. Last season, when Auburn had lost in the in their final game against Auburn, or excuse me, Alabama. Georgia. That's right, Georgia, my apologies. Mm-hmm. SEC Championship. Thank you very much, yes. Uh, there was talks that Malzahn would be fired or he'd be resigning or leaving, but all those talks subsided when news broke that Arkansas, where Malzahn is from, was aiming to make a pass at Gus. Mm-hmm. Now, that forced Auburn's hand to give him the contract, contract extension through 2022, plus the guaranteed money as well. But you see, the issue is, as I feel, is you talk about caliber of coaching, and I feel that so much of the – it's such a mindset of win now, win now, win now. We, oh, we want the championship right now. And, and that's fine, and you should strive to win, but – I think you have to understand change takes time, okay? And in order to implement a winning culture and implement a culture in which these teams and these players expect to win, that takes time, and you need to have a little faith. Mm -hmm. It does nobody no good if the administration and the athletic director and the fan bases keep clamoring for more and more and more wins, and then each new – each. Three years, it's a new coach. Yes. You have to have some kind of established... expectation. Exactly. If you're a head coach, I would imagine you find it very hard to focus on winning and just winning if you feel your job is on the line every single time. Charlie Strong in Texas. I mean, that's exactly what yeah. happened to him. They, they expected a win-win-win culture and what, he got booted out there in two years? I yeah, mean, and, and you know what? One could argue Tom Herman's going to be in the same boat. He's had a... This, I believe this is Tom Herman's inaugural second. season. Or no, second? the second season. That's right, because last season was his inaugural. And Texas is – they're seeing a bit of a resurgence. They're kind of getting back to where Texas once was under Mac Brown. It was slowly but bit. surely. But I agree with you. I think Charlie Strong really got the short end of the stick. And, yes. they, and Texas had some really close losses under Strong that I felt was like if you're if you're the Texas alumni or uh, boosters, like what more could you want? He beat Oklahoma once. Mm-hmm. He had himself uh, Texas upset Notre Dame on opening college football weekend two years ago in 2016. Right. I mean, Charlie Chong had some big marquee signature wins, but he also had some embarrassing losses as well. Kansas being one of them. Yeah. The bottom feeder of the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. It's just, I already know what I, I can imagine. Some of our viewers are thinking, well, if you don't want the pressure of coaching, don't coach. Yes, but I think there needs to be a reasonable amount of pressure. You know, there shouldn't be, hey, this is my first season. Hey, we want a national championship. That's unrealistic for, I'd argue, 90% of coaches. It even Saban, for that matter. Mm-hmm. So it's hard It's hard to It's hard to sit there and, and say, oh, these coaches are justifiably being pressured. Because it's like, I think the combination of massive money being poured into their paychecks and salaries and the fact that they're not getting results instantaneously is hitting this weird kind of miscommunication of, well, what do you want? Do you want a good coach that can win now? Or do you want a bad coach that's just right for the situation that's going to win? Take Ed O. He was the right coach for USC. Yes. Bad situation. And now look at USC. Or LSU is reaping the reaping the rewards of that, and USC missed out on him. Same thing with Chris Peterson. Mm-hmm. Right guy, wrong time. And it's, it's come back to bite USC in the ass, unfortunately, and it's – other schools, I think, are going to see it. And I think the schools that are mostly going to be affected are your lesser of the Power 5 programs. I'm glad you brought up USC because they just hired Cliff Kingsbury. Yes. 
Yes. A guy who was getting – he just got fired at Texas Tech. But despite the firing, you know, obviously Texas Tech underperformed a lot of games. But his offensive scheme has really kind of taken notice. And because of the culture's change in the NFL, he was actually getting a lot of draw to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. And the fact that he switched or he took the job at USC just to be an offensive coordinator kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, I know you don't like the hire. Kind of explain um, why you don't think Kingsbury is a fit right here at USC. Well, first things first, I am right there in the surprise. It's If the NFL comes calling, that's a lot more yes. money than the NCAA can pay you or most of your colleges can afford to pay you. So that is a bit surprising. But I mainly don't like the hire because USC is going to transform offensively into something, again, that they aren't. We've seen it these last two seasons. No, longer, actually. Four seasons. You know, two under Kiffin, two under Helton, one with Edo at the helm. Basically, USC offensively is lost. USC yes. was saved by the extreme athletic talent and athleticism that Sam Darnold had. Mm-hmm. And Juju Smith-Schuster, yeah, Smith Ronald Schuster, Jones. Ronald, thank you. You just Thank you. You're naming some Deontay of those players. Yeah, you're making me miss Burnett, those guys sorry. right now. Uh, you're showcasing the just the insane amount, the insane wealth of talent that USC had. Well, take away those key marquee players, and USC is left with still a young, talented batch, but lacking leadership. Something Helton does not have. And how does that translate to Kingsbury? Well, Kingsbury is going to come from Texas Tech in a in a conference such as the Pac-12 that is eerily similar to the Big 12 in the sense of... Yeah, they're shifting towards it. They're not there yet, but they're kind of heading that direction, especially with Washington State. Few and far between in the Pac-12 are there really some defensive stalwart teams. Typically in these last couple years, it's been Stanford. It's been Washington under Peterson. They've come up. Utah. And at one point, in one era... Colorado. Well, I was going to say USC. You're a brave man to say Colorado. I don't think they've ever been known... Two years ago, they were... uh, obviously, well, just one I, season, yeah, yeah. but yes. Point is, is USC is now, I think, with this hiring of Kingsbury, they're going to shift away from defensive-minded thinking, which is what USC cannot afford to do, and they're going to shift to an air raid, spread out, run-and-gun kind of offense, something that USC's never been known for. And mind you, JT Daniels isn't exactly the most agile and mobile quarterbacks to run a system such as that. It's going to become RPO, I think, and... I, I think we're in for another rough season as Trojan fans and college football fans alike. And I, I would wager to say next season is going to be Clay Helton's final season, buyout or not. Mm-hmm. Since USC is a private institution, they do not have to disclose their coaches' salaries. Yeah. But there have been rumors that a buyout would have been estimated North at of 20, 20 million. Right? Yeah. That's, that's a lot of money. That's enough to drop an ice pick in your heart and <laughs> sit back and wonder what's going on. Well, yes, that's the only reason I yeah. think they're keeping them after five and – Six Agreed. Season, Agreed. Five and seven. Now, Kirk Herbstreit made a great point on Twitter the other day. He said, USC fans might be rushing too much in the sense of, remember, Clay Helton's inaugural season, they get back to the Pac-12 championship. Mm-hmm. First time in eight years that it had happened since Pete Carroll. Fantastic. That's USC played. They played their hardest, but they did lose to Washington that year. Yeah. Okay. Well, then his second season, they get the Rose Bowl bid. They win the Pac-12, and then they get the Rose Bowl bid. Fantastic, and magical season. And they win the Rose Bowl. Instant classic Rose Bowl against Penn State. But here's the skinny, as we said at the beginning of this topic. They had talented playmakers and a pretty well-established, experienced defense. Mm-hmm. They no longer have that. Right. The holes in our secondary were shown quite embarrassingly against teams like Utah, like Cal, like Arizona State. Three losses that should have been three wins in this year's column for USC. 
I like the hire because I think that's the direction, like we just said earlier, the Pac-12 is heading in. You have a lot more spread-friendly offenses. And I think why it is good, important to have a good, strong defense, it is harder in this day and age with so many, so much more talent at the offensive level and so much more talented offensive minds at the college level and even at the NFL level, it's hard to be a good defense. Um, we, stopped, we talked about it off-air. The Rams have really good defense, but even the Rams, as good as the defense they had, they still allowed 51 points to the Chiefs. So I do like Kingsbury, the higher. Um, I think we just brought it up earlier, too, because he had the draw from NFL coaches. I think it's kind of telling, like you said, Helton may be done after next season, whether it's via buyout or basically whenever Helton's contract is up. I think Kingsbury has is maybe that guy who kind of replaced. Like, I think that's USC's next guy. I think I hope not. it was a smart hire by USC. Because I think if they do plan on moving on from Helton, whether it's next season or whenever his contract is up, I think Kingsbury is going to be that guy to replace him. And that's why I think to me, that's the only reason why he would pass up an NFL offense coordinator job to go to USC. Because, I mean, like you said, NFL could pay more money. It's more lucrative. You, know, you have more lucrative freedom. You, have, you don't have these kids going to school. They're just adults now, grown men and running full offenses. So I think that had to be maybe in the works. Obviously, we will never know until it happens or if it never happens and, you know, so be it. But I think it was a good move just because you're right. USC has lacked identity in offense, and I think Kingsbury brings that identity. I know they're not used to it before, but just like any system, it takes a while. Chip Kelly wasn't an instant success at Oregon, but after a few years, you know, he developed his success. And same thing with Gus Malzahn and same thing with, you know, these new spread offenses. At one point, the spread was kind of like, what the heck is this, you know? Um, but it eventually kind of changed the landscape of college football, and I think USC will be better adjusted to it. They don't have the recruits now, but in two, three years with a guy like Kingsbury, because you saw you know, a recruit, we'll see what he did at Texas Tech, I think you're going to be more excited, especially if you're an offensive player. They'll be able to get a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, caliber high school player, to come to USC now because they're going to be in a more passing-friendly offense, and so on and so forth, and offensive linemen will come. Running backs will come. Quarterbacks will come. I think it's good for USC. It still leaves a bitter taste in my mouth because, look, USC shouldn't have to depend upon their offensive identity to bring in five-star recruits. USC is in L.A., South Central Los Angeles, the hub of entertainment, beautiful girls, beautiful weather. (laughs) I'm sorry, if you're a recruit from Wisconsin, Los Angeles sounds pretty damn good no matter what offense is being run. And to refute that, what you're giving me, Chris Peterson, look at the offense they're running over there in Washington. Pro-style offense, under center, very almost much like three yards in a cloud of dust, except Gaskin gets much more than three yards. Mm -hmm. How is Chris Peterson bringing in those recruits? By winning. And how is he winning? Not by matching what's going on in the rest of the conference offensively. Because if this entire conference became like Oregon did, we would just be the Big 12 times two. Mm Mm-hmm. Pac-12 football has differentiated itself through the hashtag Pac-12 after dark, followed by teams, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, Stanford, Washington, SC at one point, all had stellar defenses. Those teams that kept those stellar defenses in a past era were dominant in the Pac-12 because evidently when you're in a run-and-gun, run pass-happy league, the way to victory isn't to match your opponent and put 80 when they put 70. No, the way to victory is to hold your opponent to twenty while you put up seventy. Yeah, and it's hard. You, you got, but you got to right. start somewhere. I think that's well, where. Okay, you know what? I mean, 
because USC right now doesn't have that defense, and I think, like I said, it's well, easier it's easier to build the offense first. They do, and the they defense will come. Defensive minded coach. But the defense don't. will come after. Mm, see, that's why I disagree with you. I'm sorry. If they had a defensive minded coach, fix the defense first. Stop giving up so many points. Become a disciplined team. USC had so many no, unnecessary 15 yard penalties for lack of discipline. So many times, so many drives were extended by an offsides, a pass interference, stuff that teams such as Alabama and Clemson don't do. Even Notre Dame, they don't make mistakes like that because Brian Kelly, Davo Sweeney, and Nick Saban, what do they all have in common? They all are disciplined teams, and these coaches drill that in them. Clay Helton doesn't have that. Clay Helton looks like a flustered kid at the end of post-game conferences. And while it's going to continue to be a problem, I think, yes. yeah, you said that lack of discipline is just going to continue to be a problem with Clay Helton at the helm, and like we said, because of the contracts, they're really kind of handicapped at that situation. USC doesn't really want to pay that buyout to Helton. Um, you did bring up Washington, and it's worth segueing into the Pac-12 championship and just conference championships in general that are taking place this weekend. Um, we'll go over some of the matchups briefly. You know, Alabama takes on Georgia in the SEC championship. Pittsburgh takes on Clemson in the ACC. Utah takes on Washington in the Pac-12 championship. Northwestern takes on Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. Uh, of those four matchups, of the, I know it's a Power Five conference, but we're not going to mention the Big Twelve. Um, but of those four, say, of, of those of, of those four conference matchups, which underdog do you think has the best chance of pulling off an upset? Hmm. Uh, I see. That's a devious question because, to be quite frank, I think all three underdogs have a chance to pull shockers and really, really give the college football committee something to consider and think about. Take Utah. Let, let's start with the Pac-12. Uh, There's one I'm most familiar with. Utah, every year, I believe, is a mixed bag of tricks. One year, they're going to have a pretty stout run defense and pretty strong secondary. Another year, they're not going to be so strong, and they're going to have a very bend-but-not-break attitude, but you're still going to put points up on them. Mm-hmm. Offensively, again, you can either get a really quick, hard-striking hard-nosed smash-mouth football from Utah, or you can get incompetent play calling. This year, I think it has to fall in the kind of in the middle. I've seen some Utah games where they just they look flat-out ugly, and it's like... Offensively, yes. Yeah, they and they just talk on the topic of discipline, which seems to be the theme of today's broadcast. <laughs> they were very undisciplined, and threw a lot of it, or the quarterback threw a lot of interceptions, and there's just a lot of turnovers. They didn't hold onto the ball often. You're not going to beat Washington that way. No. So I'm going to say Washington will win that. Northwestern and Ohio State... Another interesting one. We've seen Ohio State slip up already. They almost yeah. lost to, if I'm not mistaken, it was not Illinois uh, when they went overtime. Maryland. They almost lost to Maryland. In fact, Maryland should have beaten them. That quarterback they, just sidearmed that pass mm-hmm. way too far to the right. But so Maryland. And they lost to Purdue. Yes. Well, Purdue dropped Purdue. 49 on them. Yes. In in uh, Bloomington or not Bloomington, uh, West Lafayette, which you know I'm sure the committee's going to take into effect the fact that it was a road game. But back to the topic at hand of the conference championship. I there is a potential that Ohio State could be looking ahead and looking ahead in the sense that they have a chance to leapfrog based mm-hmm. on if Oklahoma loses, they I think are the next runner up in comparison to Georgia. So I like Northwestern's chances, but I think Pat Fitz, Pat Fitzgerald just lacks the talent that Urban Meyer has pound for pound, even going down in the special teams game. Oh yeah. So I'm thinking Ohio State's going to take that one. They should. So that leaves us with scary old Pitt. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh, we've seen pull off a few upsets these last two years. Yes. 2016, it was Penn State at home. 2017, it was Clemson mm-hmm. in Death Valley. So Pitt has proven themselves time and time again. Oh, 
And they even shocked Miami at the end of last yes, season. Yes, they did. So they are definitely good for a upset every year, and they're due. I don't think they've had that big upset this year. They got manhandled by Penn State. They played them hard, but they still got manhandled. And the ACC Coastal, the division they're in within the ACC, has been really up for grabs. They haven't looked oh, yes. good. They have not distinguished themselves. Remember when we thought Virginia Tech was going to be oh, legit yeah, at the beginning of the year? we were young and naive. Mm. But even so, Clemson, another team that can be caught looking ahead. And I think Clemson, especially with all the national headlines surrounding Clemson-Bama rematch three and yeah. who's going to win and whatnot, I think Pittsburgh probably has the best chance of the underdogs to pull off a shocker. And I think if they did, they're going to squeak by by the hair of the chinny chin chin man that's going to be a 13 10 score maybe even 17 10 17 14 yep the grind and it's it, i think of of the underdog games that we listed that'll probably be the one worth watching to see how to shake out it, yeah. it's going to be decided early on meaning if clemson doesn't come out and drop 21 within the second quarter mm-hmm. i think that Cl- pittsburgh is going to gain some confidence and yeah. some swagger and say hey we can that's a win for them yeah, yeah I, think, exactly. I think so exactly so to answer your question pittsburgh would probably the most likely underdog i like my chances with utah just because yeah. i remember watching that game where washington played utah earlier in the year both teams were had sloppy games i think where it was a friday night game and um we were watching it i it think it was in provo right yeah oh yeah we're watching it salt. together it was in salt lake and both teams had ugly offensive performances. Jake Browning had a very bad game, um, looked pretty sobbly, sloppy. But Utah looked even worse on offense. <laughs> they they failed to capitalize on some you know red zone opportunities that they had. Um, but if they can capitalize on those red zone opportunities, I think it was a it would have been tied twenty one twenty one, gotten to overtime or something like that. So I think in my opinion, I think Utah has the best chance in that Pac twelve championship game. The Big Twelve championship game I did leave out. I left out because. It's more of an evenly matched game, probably the most evenly matched game, even though some might say it's Bama versus Georgia because they're 1-4 and four in the college football playoff rankings. Let's be honest. Let's, yeah, exactly. Let's be honest. Bama should win by at least 13. It's a different kind of Georgia team this year. I think between number 5 Oklahoma, number 9 Texas, that's going to be a shootout, and that should be a very fun game. Who do you think, in your opinion, takes the advantage on Saturday? That is a hard question. Do I think Texas has it in them to beat Oklahoma twice this season? Whew, I do not know. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say no simply for the fact that it seems to me that Kyler Murray and company has just they've taken on a whole other wave of just dominance and they've been playing lights out. They really have and they've found ways to win even in close games towards the end of the season. With that being said, though, Lincoln Riley, you have to give credit to him and what he's done with Kyler Murray because Murray's already said and come out that he's not going to play football anymore after the season. He's going right. to pursue Baseball. A, a major league career with the Oakland Athletics. So, you know, hats off to him. With that being said, though, you know, it speaks to Kyler Murray and kind of where his heart is for this team and the fact that he is the heart and soul of this Oklahoma Sooner team, such as Baker Mayfield was, and the surrounding weapons and talent that Murray has. I, I like Oklahoma's chances, but of course, you know, it's the Red River rivalry for a reason. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. Anything will happen, and I agree with you. It will be a shootout, but I don't think it's going to be a high. Right. You know, it's going to be a shootout. I just don't think it's going to be high scoring. Yeah. It's going to be a shootout in the sense of they're going to score fast, and they're going to score early, and then it's going to become a defensive stalemate. It'll and, be runs. Yes. They'll make and, runs. And it'll be the last. Whoever has the Whoever has possession of the ball last should win the game. Makes sense, yeah. And I like. I, go, I got Texas, 27-20. I like Oklahoma, and I'll go 38-34. Mm. Both scores I, are entertaining, and it's going to be for a fun matchup. Yeah, I think it's the most evenly matchup. 
9 a.m. kicks off. Mm-hmm. First game, thankfully. Moving on to a different topic. Thanksgiving just happened last week. And uh, if you didn't listen to the show, talked about it yesterday or not yesterday. The last show with co-host, our guest co-host, Jacob Johnson. Um, how was your Thanksgiving? My Thanksgiving was really nice. You know, I have found that these last couple years, what I've really valued about the holidays is spending time with my friends and family and those I don't get to see often due to, you know, life and its inconveniences at times. So uh, this year, Thanksgiving was uh, kind of, I'd say, extra special. My uh, little baby cousin, he has been diagnosed with leukemia a couple months ago. Mm. His battle's been going really strong. He's been doing really well. And things seem to be going on the right track. I mean, he's got a whole three-year battle ahead of him. But yeah. that's besides the point. He's doing really well. He's healthy. He's, you know, youthful, full of energy still. So that was that's really great. good to see at the dinner table. And I got to catch up with a few family friends and cousins that I hadn't seen in a long time. So overall, it was really good. And as always, the food was spectacular. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed myself. I, I uh had a few glasses of wine, discussed some sports, ate some turkey, had some pie. I, I really could not have asked for a better night, truthfully. So we were talking about before the broadcast and the reason why we're bringing this up. I had a little bit of different Thanksgiving. Went to a friend's house at night for Thanksgiving dinner and kind of saw a different aspect of it, right? I saw some Thanksgiving traditions that I wasn't accustomed to, um, which kind of led me to this idea that if we could do Thanksgiving any differently, how would we do it? And I'll start off with this topic. Um, I think I'd, I'd switch up cuisine-wise. I'm not a huge fan of the turkey. I'm, I like ham, but it kind of gets repetitive and old after a while. I mean, I don't know. We can have ham a little bit more. You know, sometimes people have ham on Christmas. Sometimes people have ham in sandwiches. Obviously, it's a different kind of ham. But I would switch up the cuisine. I, I'm not a big fan of, like, the whole stuffing, turkey, cranberry juice, or cranberry sauce. sauce. Sorry. Cranberry sauce and, you know, the yams and other things like that. Yams. Honestly, if I if I had a family of my own, I'd really like to kind of go year by year and and switch the cuisine up a little bit. Well, maybe one year have something more of a you know we'll go meatloaf and different type of thing, and then next year we'll do tacos. We'll get you know have a little taco station. The year after that, get exotic, maybe go some sushi or like Indian food. I I'd like to go like on a year by year basis, kind of changing the different foods because sometimes to me at least I know Thanksgiving only happens once a year and that's kind of like the one time a year people can eat turkey and stuff like that. But honestly, I could do without turkey, the stuffing and all that kind of stuff. Really? That is interesting. Are you not American? I, I am. <laughs> nah, I'm kidding. But uh, for me, I'm sorry. Thanksgiving to me is always turkey, ham, my cousin Denise's spectacular broccoli bake. Shout out to Denise. Uh, yams, which I just found out within these last two holiday seasons that I actually do like. Uh, stuffing, mashed potatoes, gravy a dinner roll. I mean, that's that's Thanksgiving to me. I'm sorry. All those foods sound foreign to me. In fact, I think I'd scoff at the idea of those foods for Thanksgiving because that's not my idea. Mm-hmm. Of course, that doesn't diminish your version and idea. But if I had to implement some kind of change, usually when my dinner, when my family eats dinner, it's, you know, there's some light dinner music being played and we all converse. I think for me, being the sports guy that I am, I think I'd like to have football on mm-hmm. or, you know, a game on, you know, something to watch in case conversation falters which you know it oftentimes does yeah because people sometimes just don't have things to say or they don't want to talk yeah well and and i think for the most part uh this is just mainly me this is this is for me i think i'd like to have scope out and buy some nice wines or a nice bottle of liquor Ooh, or something you know because yeah. i don't i feel like it's the holidays you know oftentimes get to enjoy these things so you know it's a special occasion you know say, yeah and say and say you know say uh say i don't have any kids you know and then 
and I grow up and I have a wife, you know, I want to sit down and have a nice bottle of wine with my wife and enjoy Thanksgiving dinner. Of course, whatever yeah. Whatever it may be. So I think that's the things the I change. finer things in life. Exactly. And I don't necessarily think – it's funny. You used the word traditions and you got me thinking when I was looking at the pregame, pregame, pre-show notes. I was kind of like, I don't – we don't really have any traditions. I mean, other than going down to my grandmother's, I mean, that's – but that's not really a tradition per se because that can change in a heartbeat. It's exactly. Yeah. I suppose the tradition would just be getting together with my folks and family, and I wouldn't really change that for anything. You mm-hmm. know, and the way my family is is kind of like if one of my friends didn't have anywhere to go or they did, they weren't doing anything. They yeah. always open arms like we have more than enough food for you to eat. Of course, yeah. So, um, your your question kind of stumped me, but I did enjoy listening to you and what you would bring to the table because stuff like that, tacos, tamales, uh, pasta, sushi, stuff like that's typically not associated with thanksgiving so it's mm-hmm. definitely an interesting take and i think if anything i'd be open more so to tacos than any of this, <laughs> any any other thing you listed i love pastor tacos so yeah, hey. yeah, yeah i do too yeah. i i also think like you said too sometimes after dinner we just kind of sit around chat yeah people beer. mill about yeah yeah we kind of just kind of lounge around and I, I definitely when i went to my friend's thanksgiving this year we played some games and i think that was not a cut that's not something we do usually in my family after Thanksgiving dinner, not too often. Um, so I, I like to do something like that, too. You get some more active games, so you, you can kind of get the whole family involved, something that everyone can play, whether it's a board game, card games. Have you ever played Taboo? I have, yes. Taboo I, is very I, fun to play. I, I like, or Cranium. Cranium is very fun to play, too. I like Cranium as so well. So I, I might take that and yeah. implement that. <laughs> That'd be fun. Moving on to a different topic, Big Mouth Season 2 came out. Almost a month and a half ago. It's been quite some time. It came out in October. Going through changing. As Jacob Fanshaw sings the opening (laughs) theme song to Big Mouth. Um, But season two, man, it was something for sure. It was a disappointment. We have differences in opinion, and I'll let you start off. You think it's a disappointment compared to season one, obviously. We we still like the show as a whole. but a lot more things happen, and kind of just talk about the things you didn't like in season two. I just felt the humor was forced at times. You know, it just didn't feel naturally, organically funny. I felt that they took a lot of what made season one funny, which was just the randomness to the show, but there was a story to Like, I felt season one had an overarching story, but it didn't. I felt each episode was almost like a new episode of like, oh, there's a new story, there's something new that they're going to get into trouble. But mm-hmm. Season two was much more of a narrative. And I don't think I watch Big Mouth for a narrative. Yeah. You know, we're watching these kids grow up, and it's it's a cartoon. So knowing right, this, right, I'm right. not watching this expecting to see, you know, like, Andrew's kind of like, you know, Andrew's relationship with Nick or, or <laughs> Jesse's relationship with Nick and Andrew. Like, I felt that just was unnecessary exposition and story in what otherwise was a funny funny relationship in season one you know mm-hmm. like jesse was funny she was witty and i i get it she's dealing with the divorce and there's other right. real life stuff that kids do go through that affect them and i think the show does a good job at portraying that mm-hmm. you know but i just felt that there was a lot like they tried to make it story driven and yeah. to me big mouth is a story driven it's the comedy that drives well them. yeah exactly it's an animated show yeah and shows like family guys simpsons they don't have like you said a narrative base it's episode by episode Something random, new kind of topic that comes about and it doesn't really relate to the previous yeah, episode. Well, it's a lot of those are satire on society, exactly. and there's a lot of satire. Mm-hmm. But let's take the- a let's take a step back. I did like how you mentioned that they do really 
accurately portray a lot of sometimes things you go through middle school because middle school let's be honest it's a freaking weird time you know like it's, we're it's a very weird time. a lot of kids go through changes but they go at different rates you know and then like jesse is she's going through her whole parents divorce and her parent her mom might be you know seeing another woman so like there's a lot of things that kind of get freaky from jay's experience to andrew's experience to nick's experience and it's kind of some weird times i think they do a really got good job of portraying it one thing I will say I didn't like about season two, Shane Wizard. I think that thing was kind of forced down our throat. Oh, I know. I mean, everything any character did for, what was it, two, two almost two episodes was kind of just put on blast. You know what I mean? It kind of made you as a person feel kind of shitty about things you probably didn't even do. But you just, I, I, don't, I don't know. The Shane Wizard was just, like you said, that was definitely forced. I, I, I wasn't a fan. I, didn't mean, I, I did like the character. But how much he was involved in the show and how forced he was, wasn't a fan of that. It's funny. I didn't necessarily feel secondhand discomfort. I just felt annoyance because I thought back to growing up and it's like, I didn't feel that much shame. I didn't feel it. I felt. I hardly felt shame growing up at all. In fact, like high school, yeah, you did some things. I was like, eh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I ever like did stuff all throughout middle school that I was like, damn, like, mm-hmm. wow, I'm, I'm contemplating the concept of... of <laughs> of my ethics and my ethical being. And I felt the show tried too hard to, you know, like Andrew's just a horny kid. Mm-hmm. Like granted that could just be because, you know, that could be a bigger overlap in the, you know, he's Jewish in the Jewish faith. I'm not educated in a Jewish religion, but I'm not sure if, you know, it's not exactly sinful to be that master mm-hmm. masturbating all the time and being horny and whatnot. And you see him try to discuss that with, his, but it's uh, uncomfortable to him, yeah. Cause, yeah, and it's uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable because his dad is, let's be honest, his dad's kind of a dick. Well, yes, but he, and also his friends, I like, he, he Andrew's maturing faster than his friends, and his friends yeah. aren't really experiencing that same <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, especially Nick. So he, he feel, especially Nick, exactly, his best friend. He's feeling different. He's feeling a lot different from Nick. We saw it yeah. in season one, you know, so that's his personal struggle that he's dealing with is, you know, he, he's almost maturing too. It's not a bad thing, but he is maturing faster than others. Right. I just, I felt that the shame wizard was unnecessary to the point where it's like, okay, like I, I get it. Like he's, he, he masturbates a lot, you know, he's a kid and it's like, but what horny, like what kid wasn't horny back at that age? Like think mm-hmm. back to your age and it's, it might be a little vulgar, but it's like, just think back, put yourself in those shoes, guy mm-hmm. or girl, you know, it's, you're going through all these hormones. Like all of a sudden you're feeling things you had never felt before exactly. and, and you're these thoughts in your head that are in your head before that they weren't. So it's like, I get what the show was trying to do, but I felt the implementation was just... It made me not want to watch the show, to be honest. In fact, I've kind of... I saw season really? two to watch season two, but I haven't re- really revisited. In fact, I haven't really been watching Big Mouth as a whole because yeah. I've already seen so much of season one, and I don't really enjoy season two as much. I just don't see the need to revisit it. I'm excited yeah. that they're continuing, and season three should be interesting. I sincerely hope that this show will continue on until these kids reach high school, maybe even post, but I don't know if that'd be milking it too much. So I definitely want to see them hit high school though. Because yes. I think, yeah. Especially characters such as Jay and coach Steve and, and oh, uh, gosh, Jesse, coach. like they, those characters to me make the show. Like there is no big mouth without coach Steve and Jay. Well, see, that's the thing too. Coach Steve at the end, I don't know. I mean, season three has, like you said, has been announced and nothing has been announced whether coach Steve returns or not, but he does get fired. Yeah. You know, he's no longer a, 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 a school staff you know he's no longer part of the faculty there at that middle school so how does his character kind of go on from the show is he still part of the show but he comes in like on rare instances now he made thick in the warm <laughs> you know he did at the end but he did get fired and i don't know it'll be that's an interesting kind of question up in the air for season three 
Um, and well, like you said, be in eighth grade now, correct? Yes, they will be in eighth grade. I think that's that's something too. I would like them to see at least enter freshman year because high school things continue to change. But I, I, you know, I think almost high school makes either things go faster or slower, and yeah. and you're you're forced with a lot of tough decisions. We'll see how like friends dynamic in that show kind of leaps through high school and even eighth grade because right now all of them are still kind of friends. They go through little like bumps and you know, bruises in the road, but it, obviously nothing to kind of completely derail any of their friendships. Uh, we could possibly see that in season three or one of the future seasons, but I don't know. I was a fan of season two. I think I wouldn't say it was better than season one, but I think I laughed just as much in season two as I did season one. Season one, there were definitely more genuine laughs, maybe because we were new to the show mm-hmm. and we, and season two, we already had these expectations of what it was going to be. And it wasn't that. So it just it threw us off a little bit. I, yeah, maybe so. Maybe they, they burn too bright, too fast kind of thing. And hopefully season three they can kind of pick up the pieces because I feel a lot of the commentary surrounding season two is kind of much of the same where, you know, we still enjoy the show and it's still something that we want to watch, but the laughs were few and far between, I feel, for season two, at least mm-hmm. for me, my personal experience. Yeah. Big so, shout-out to Nick Kroll, though, for creating the show and oh, writing yeah, the yeah. show. Oh, yeah, yeah. By no means are we shitting on your creation. It's, no, it's yeah. an absolute uh, it's a wonderful gem of a piece. Gem of a piece, and folks, I know you can't see it now, but you're leaning back in that chair. If you fall, I will let out the most. I will let out a great laugh, okay, folks. So if I laugh unexpectedly, you know why. <laughs> That'll be a nice segue with shows and cartoons to uh, the passing of the SpongeBob creator Stephen uh, Hilberg. Stephen Hilberg, yeah, he passed away earlier this week, um, and it was sad to see because you know we lost Stan Lee a few weeks ago, and he was a huge person in the. Uh, Cartoon industry. Spider-Man. Cartoon industry. Spider-Man. He's getting whole Marvel, right? Steven Hilberg, even a huger pack. And I think more closer to us because Stan Lee's a little bit older generation. Comics. I mean, both of us never really read comics. But SpongeBob, shoot, that was huge. I mean, I remember as a 10-year-old watching SpongeBob. I remember as a 15-year-old watching SpongeBob. I'm still finding it funny. And I could watch SpongeBob now still with my cousins, my little cousins, and still find the SpongeBob episodes funny because there's humor for every edge level. No matter how young or how old. There's adult humor peppered all throughout that show, and it's absolutely fantastic. And I think what makes the show lovable is, as you said, kids kids and adults alike can sit down and find something to laugh about. And at the end of the day, when you think about it, whether it be Big Mouth, whether it be you know uh, SpongeBob or any other cartoon, the objective of the cartoon is to make you laugh and right. forget about life's worries. And SpongeBob did that many times for us young kids and even times. now as an adult man sometimes i go on youtube and look up the funnier episodes or moments and i just yeah. laugh and it's a good laugh and it's uh i wouldn't say it's with the heaviest heart like i'm not like super depressed or sad about it if anything it's just kind of like hey yeah. you know it's uh it's, I, you know it happens as a part of life but mm-hmm. it's sad to hear and the I'm, cool- I'm extremely thankful i just want to yeah, say that exactly. too. you know he, yeah, he, exactly you know he made a lot of bright spots in my childhood exactly and i was just going to say the best part of all this is his legacy will live on forever. SpongeBob mm-hmm. jokes will be timeless. Yeah. SpongeBob moments are timeless. And they can always continue to hop on back on my timeline on Twitter. Yes. I mean, I love seeing those. If there's one show that I can quote more than any other show I've seen, it's definitely SpongeBob. I, 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 I can quote so many of those shows, and my friends at Sac State know it. My friends back home know it, too. I mean, every now and then I'll just throw a random SpongeBob quote. And sometimes somebody will get it. If I'm in the right crowd, sometimes they won't, you know, depending on what crowd I'm in, but um, you had an interesting topic or how Hilberg created the show that oh, I wanted yes. you to share on the show. Yeah, so I was reading on Wikipedia the other day, recently it was on Reddit, maybe like a day or two after he had passed away, 
that Hillenberg was actually a biology teacher before marine he, biology. yeah, marine biology teacher before he actually made the show, like the show as we know it. The show existed beforehand, but it served as educational purposes, and all the characters within the show were supposed to serve as representative for lessons within his class. Mm -hmm. That seems obvious upon watching the cartoon, but when you understand kind of the story and the background behind that. So I thought that was pretty cool, you know? I mean, it, and I, I also think it goes to show the kind of wholesomeness of Steven Hilberg himself. You know, he, he made it not for the benefit of himself to make money, but to educate students on marine biology and the wonders of the ocean, and it turned out to be a smashing success. I mean, as someone who teaches, you know, a profession or wants to make sure little kids are educated or the kids are educated properly, like that seems a pretty good way to uh, go out to set up a, I don't know, I was going to say multi-billion, but a, mm -hmm. set up a relatively financially successful endeavor and then, you know, have your legacy cemented that way. So all in all, are you feeling it now, Mr. Krebs? That's a good note to end the show on. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Podfathers podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts now, so please feel free to subscribe, like, and share our podcast. Turn on your notifications so that you know when we upload a podcast. And if not on Apple, on SoundCloud as well. We're still uploading there. Mm -hmm. And let your friends know about it. Spread the word, please. And any comments or anything that we can improve upon or any topics for that matter, too. Yeah. Feel free to interact with us on Twitter, on different social medias. And we're going to continue to grow. I think that's the exciting part about here at the Podfathers podcast. We're still young in the game, have been in it less than a year. And we're already making huge leaps, I feel like, in this short amount of time. I know it's been a while, but it was really good chatting with you today, Jacob, Yeah, as always. Yeah, it actually was. This is my first time back on a show in a while for new viewers that are going to tune in mm -hmm. to this one. So I'm glad to be back on. Hopefully, hopefully I wasn't too uh, bad. Hopefully you guys enjoyed me being back on the show because it felt great to be back on and have a conversation again. I'm Noah Alvarez. I'm Jacob Pancho. And these are the Podfathers Podcast, signing off.